0: As we begin our time together, uh, learning from the Word, I'm going to invite Ryan Winkleman to read from the Word. This is Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. You might think, wait, didn't we just learn about this last week? Yes, but now we're finishing up the end of verse 3. So fear not. If you're keeping score at home, we're getting in the right direction. Take it away, Ryan. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Amen. Thank you. Would you join me in prayer? Mighty God, thank you for a mighty word from you. We know that there's power in your name and we know that there's power in your word because when we open up your word, we see clearly that it's alive, that it's active, that it's changing us. And so we ask for a receptivity in all of our hearts. I'm including myself in this. That this word would speak to us, would minister to us where we are broken and hurting, and call us to higher ground. God, we're thankful for all these moments now in worship. Would you bless the reading and the hearing and the proclaiming of your word? May the words of my mouth and the considerations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, a rock and a redeemer. Amen. Well, it's great to see all of you this morning. Uh, Some of you know that uh, I was out of town very briefly this week. Uh, my grandmother, my dad's mother, passed away two weeks ago. So kind of sad time in our family. She and I were close when I was in middle school and high school. Uh, she was on a farm outside of Houston where I grew up, a little town called Brenham. And they, she and my granddad had retired there years ago. And so uh, we said goodbye to my granddad in 2009. And so my grandma passed just two weeks ago. So I went down to Texas for the memorial service this week. And I'm doing okay. I'm tired. I'm kind of emotionally spent, but I'm doing okay. And I wanted to begin today by telling you about my grandma, because I think she exemplifies one of the main things we're going to get at in the text today. One of the reasons I was close to my grandma is because when I was growing up, we would go to her house when I was a kid. Maybe a lot of you did this. And we'd spend the whole day there, right? Like, this was before, like... You know, any of us were involved in, like, soccer and, like, all these other things. We would go out to—it's grandmommy and granddaddy. Okay, I grew up in Texas. Come on, you got to laugh at that. We would go out to grandmommy and granddaddy's farm, and we would pull up on the gravel driveway, and we'd park underneath this beautiful oak tree, big, big oak tree. And we'd walk up to their front porch, and they had an AstroTurf-covered front porch. Do any of your grandparents have this? Because why do you need a doormat? Just put the AstroTurf down, right? Like, that's so great. So I remember kind of the crunch of the AstroTurf under my feet as I'd walk up. And I'd open the screen door, and this blast of air conditioning would hit me, right? Because it's Texas. Everything's air conditioned. And you couldn't get two steps in to Grandmommy and Granddaddy's house before Grandmommy would round the corner from the kitchen. She'd be drying her hands off with the dish towel, and she'd come up to you, and she'd give you the biggest hug. And she would look you in the eyes and say, I'm so glad you're here. And I remember this because very few people, at least in my life, would do this. She would clasp me on the sides of my face and hold my face right there and say, I'm glad to see you. And her hands would still be cold from the water from the kitchen sink. That's my grandma. And one of the things my grandma taught me in those moments was that I'm loved, that I'm valuable, that I had a place in her heart that other people didn't occupy. She was intentional with me. She showed me just how special it was to feel like you were special. Isn't it great when you go somewhere and you feel like you're special? Isn't it great to be received as someone who is celebrated and rejoiced over, right? That's how my grandma would receive me. Maybe some of your grandparents are like that too. And what I want to say about that is, is that's a rare thing, and that's the right thing. That's the right thing to do when we see people we love, is to just celebrate them for who they are. I hadn't done anything for my grandmother. I hadn't you know, brought a bunch of gifts. I wasn't trying to earn anything. I just showed up and I was celebrated. That's a picture of grace. It's a picture of acceptance. It's a picture of love. And it's a picture of the right path or the path of righteousness that the text talks about today. Depending on the translation that you use, the scriptures say, He leads me in right paths for His namesake. That's what we're going to concentrate on today. And the kids are concentrating on something really fun right now. We're going to walk through three different uh, to kind of talk about what this right path looks like, how we bring it into our lives. So if you're a note taker, you may want to write down these three different movements. They're not sequential. Sometimes they just happen to us. Sometimes we step into them. But they go like this. We write the ship. That's the first move. write the ship. We walk the well-trod path. And then we look for his namesake. We pursue his namesake. The right, we write the ship, the well trod path, and his namesake. So let's talk about writing the ship. I know I'm mixing metaphors a little bit here because the psalm is talking about a shepherd, and I'm talking about a boat. But I think you get what I mean. And the thing I want to begin with is none of us can write the ship by ourselves. Now, have you ever been on a boat? You get this. Like if the boat turns over, like ain't nobody fixing that thing. Like you got to get other boats to come over and help you. you got to have more than just the resources you have in play. And if it's hard for you to kind of picture a time in your life when you needed the ship to be right, when you needed to have someone to come and rescue you from the situation that you were in, if you're not used to kind of thinking of yourself in terms of like, I need help, I feel kind of powerless, think about the last time you were sick. Like, sick is a dog sick. Not like, I'm fighting a cold, going to, work, going to work, I'm the sniffly guy at work. Like, think about the last time you were so sick that all you could think of was, I just want to be well. I just want to be well. And doggone it, reality is not cooperating with you. You just want to be well. The last time you were sick is the last time you felt this sense of, like, I can't fix this myself. I can't make this right on my own. Maybe you had this opportunity to think of yourself as someone that needs to be straightened out, that that needs to be righted when you were fired, when you were let go from your job. Maybe when the divorce papers were served to you. That was when you had that feeling of, like, I can't fix this. Reality does not want to cooperate with me right now. And if you can't relate to any of that, just go to Las Vegas. I like Vegas for about 12 hours. But if you go to Vegas and you sit at the craps table and you watch... What others do, you watch what happens in your own heart, you start to get sucked into this thing. That is the feeling of, oh man, I'm getting drawn into something and I'm not going to make this right on my own. That's our condition as individuals. That's our condition collectively as human beings. And you know who knew this, who understood this deeply? David, the author of our psalm today. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 42. Another psalm of David. Remember, David is the author. He is the great king. He's a warrior. He was leading the people of Israel in a powerful time, and he was a poet, one of the great songwriters of his generation. Listen to Psalm forty-two, eleven. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Why are you cast down? That term, cast down, is a shepherd's term. It's a term that's used when a sheep falls into something that the sheep can't get out of. The sheep can't ride its own ship. And if you know anything about shepherding, which I've been learning a little bit about through this sermon series, when a sheep falls down, when a sheep trips and stumbles, falls on its back, it's only a matter of time before that sheep gets so stuck that it perishes. It can be a fatal thing for a sheep to be cast down, to be unable to help itself. And David understood this. And this is such a wonderfully human thing for us to understand about David. Despite his success, despite all of the things that he had had done for him, given to him, empowered him to do, he recognizes here in this moment that his soul is broken, and he can't fix it himself. Do we believe that? That we can't fix our souls by ourselves? David had a couple of moments of deep brokenness that we read about in the scriptures, one of which that I want to encourage all of us to read this week, if you have... uh, If you'd like to read something devotionally, 2 Samuel 12. I won't read it for us, but 2 Samuel 12 is the story of Nathan and David. And if you grew up around church, you might be familiar with this. Nathan is a prophet. David's the king. The prophet's job is to go tell the king things he doesn't want to hear. And Nathan knows that David has committed adultery. He has broken his marriage. He has chosen to disregard his role as king by doing this, and he has totally stepped out of line. And Nathan comes to him to tell him a parable, ironically, about sheep and a shepherd. And David responds to this parable. The story is that the sheep was taken away and it was unjust. And he responds, like many of us do, very viscerally, very emotionally to the injustice of that story. And he says, this is not right. That person should be punished. And Nathan turns to him and says, you are that man. You have committed this atrocity. And he calls him on the carpet. David, you are so broken, you can't even see the cracks in your mirror, you can't even write your own ship, you need a shepherd. That's what a prophet does, is a prophet comes to someone and says, you may not want to hear this, but you need to hear this. And David, what does he do? He fires the prophet, right? Cuts his head off. No. He hears it. He receives this hard word, he laments, he mourns, he tears his clothing, and he basically comes to the place that we all need to come to, which is a place of confession, and says, yep, that's me. I can't do it. I cannot rewire myself to make this right. I am so broken. I need help. That's all confession is at the core. It's admitting that we can't do it alone, that we can't straighten the ship out by ourselves. I can't fix my marriage on my own. I can't fix the problems at my kid's school on my own. When I'm leading at work, any of us, and your team is broken and needs your help, but you can't deliver it to them because you're broken too or because you're tired, it is okay. It is appropriate. It is the outpouring of the soul of someone who wants to be cared for by the shepherd to say, I can't do this. That's all confession is. And we're talking about confession today because we're going to do that before we come to the table. And it's such a valuable part of discipleship, yet it's so neglected. Confession is simply saying, I can't write the ship on my own. Deva shows us this. And for David and for many of us, this is the first step toward the right path. So if you are struggling, if you are tired of where you are in life right now, if you are going through a season of discouragement, have you tried confession? Have you asked God to step into the things that you can't fix? Have you done, as the author of James says, to ask? You do not have because you do not ask. Have you asked in the context of your confession? It's hard. It takes work that gets at the soul, but it's good. So that's the first movement. That's where we were talking about um, riding the ship. Now let's talk about the well-trod path. This is where we turn to kind of the first major part of our text. He leads me in right paths. Now, we're going to do a little bit of a word study on leads, which is an interesting word in the text. It's one of several Hebrew words that would have been used to talk about leadership, talk about bringing somebody into a place where they're not. Remember, leadership is moving people from A to B. But this type of leadership that's described in the text, this is not like advice. This is not like, dear Abby, this is not like putting something up on Facebook and asking people to comment and recommend things. This is a little bit harder. There's a little bit more weight. There's a little bit more clarity around this. There's a kind of guidance that we all need that is not open for debate or conversation. There's the kind of guidance that we need that says, this is broken and you need to do something about it. I see this change happening in your life and I love you, but this is not going to work. You've got to take a different route. That's clarity, right? That's the gift that everybody longs for when we're in critical situations or we're not sure what to do. We're asking for clarity. We're longing for it. And the well-trod path, the one that Jesus offers to us, is one of clarity, but it's not like what we expect. What the people of Israel found, though, first, was a type of clarity that they could never have imagined. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13, the context for this is the people of Israel have been freed from Egypt, right? They're no longer slaves. They're on the run. Excuse me. They're in the wilderness. They're free, but God is with them because they don't know what to do with their freedom. They're lost, their character is kind of a mess. And so God comes alongside of them, and to show that he is with them, to show that he is for them, that he has not let hung them out to dry, the text tells us this. This is Exodus 13, verse 21. The Lord went in front of them, the Israelites, in a pillar of cloud by day, to lead them along the way. And in a pillar of fire by night, to give them light, so that they might travel by day and by night, neither the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of cloud pillar of fire by night, left its place in front of the people. Back in verse 21, to lead them along the way. That's the same word for lead that is used in our psalm. Now, do you think that that word lead implies, like, take this advice, you know, whenever you feel like listening to this, it's okay. Just got an idea for you. No. This is clarity because the way to go, the leading that is being given to Israel is follow the fire, follow the cloud. This is unambiguous. Where the cloud goes, we go. Where the fire goes, we go. You're not going to go argue with that. Just go. And while that may seem kind of authoritarian since we live in such an individualistic culture, it's not because it's for the good of the people who are supposed to belong to God and they'd forgotten how to do that. And sometimes in each of our lives, wouldn't it be real nice if there was just a pillar of fire over the choice that we're supposed to make? Wouldn't it be real nice if there was a cloud hovering over the thing you're supposed to click on and go do? But does it work like that? Not often, not usually. I have not had little clouds hovering over my screen lately. Have you ever had someone come to you and say emphatically, I need you to listen to me. I need you to listen to what I'm about to say to you. There's usually a context of love, there's usually a context of safety in that, but sometimes the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, it doesn't look like what we think it should look like, and it doesn't come from someone that we know well. Those of you who grew up in church traditions where someone could come up to you and say, hey, look, I I got a word from the Lord, and it's for you. Can I share that with you? I think that's wonderful. I didn't grow up in a tradition like that. But there are traditions out there that say, like, this is something you need to pay attention to. This is something that God has to say to you. I had a profound moment in my life that I was not counting on when I was working for a church in Gig Harbor. We took kids to a camp in California, and the camp speaker had a word for me, and we didn't know each other. I'd never met this guy before, but I was doing a speaking thing. I was talking to a group of students, and he came up to me afterwards, and all he said to me was, you have to do this. You have to do this with your life. You have to give your life to this thing, this teaching, this speaking thing. And I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't looking for some guy that I didn't know to give me some sort of direction. I wasn't hanging around with a sign around my neck that said, like, help me, please. But that word really helped me in a time when I did need to hear it because I was still wrestling with, am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to go be a teacher? I still got that lawyer thing kicking around. When is that thing going to die? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then his word, as well as the words of many others, help provide clarity, Help become that pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire for me. And I believe that many of us have had this happen too. And if you haven't happened, had this happen to you, don't worry. This does not mean you're a terrible person. But have you been asking? Have you been seeking? Have you been asking the Lord for clarity around something that's confusing to you? Are you willing to admit educated, affluent high-heeled east-siders, that there's stuff we don't know? Are you willing to admit that you're missing something? Let's start there. That's hard for a lot of us. Now, asking for the pillar of cloud and fire, that's a good thing. Another thing to ask God for happens in Matthew chapter 11. If you want to turn with me there, I invite you to turn to Matthew 11:28. 28. Now, Jesus was sharing a word with his followers, people who loved him, who were devoted to him, So he could share these hard words with them about the future, about the persecution that they would face. Life is not going to be easy. And then he says, I think, these very comforting and familiar words to his people to show them how much he loves them, to send them forth out of the context of love. This is Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said to them, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is the well-trod path. It is not necessarily, do I go this way? Do I go that way? What choice do I need to make? You can ask God for that, certainly. But what if the well-trod path for you right now, and for me, is just recognizing the Savior's presence with me? recognizing that there is one right next to me as I go to work, right next to me as I parent, right next to me as I engage with my neighbors who says, I am with you. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Guys, as I read through that this week, I was so convicted about the places where I feel stress, about the parts of my work, the parts of my job as a parent, the parts of all these different roles where I get so wrapped up around what I can't see and what I can't do. And what I started to do was just ask God in those moments and say, God, can I please have your easy burden? Can you please give me your light yoke? Can I have that? Could you offer that to me in this meeting or in this conversation or when I have to do this over here? All these things that are so tempting for me to create into just these monuments that they don't need to be. That's my pathway in trying to make room in my life for the well-trod path. It's not finding a new path. It's not finding a new job. It's not finding a new spouse. It's not these things that are so tempting for us to do. It's looking for Jesus to show you his faithfulness, where you are, and calling you further up and further in into what he's doing. That is a way for us to find the well-trod path. So how do you do that? Have you made room in your life to ask good questions, to listen? Do you create space to just sit with God, just be present with him? Are you surrounding yourself with people for whom asking the question of, hey, what do you think about this? I've kind of got two really good options here. What do you think should be next? Do you have those kind of relationships in your life where you'd feel safe asking that, where you would trust what that person says to you? What kind of steps could you take to invite people into those places in your life? If a new opportunity comes to you at work, it's exciting, you want to say yes in the moment, what if you w- said to your boss or whoever, hey, thank you, can I have a day to just think about this? That's so contrary to the way that our world works, right? Because we want to respond immediately, we want to get started on the new project, we want to get moving. What if you gave yourself permission and time to ask Jesus what he thinks? And in so doing, would he show you how to walk faithfully into what he desires for that future? Have you looked at the well-trod path in your friendships, and your dating life? People that you can be around who help lift those burdens from you when you're really feeling it and who show you, who offer the doorway for you to help lift those burdens off of them. God, give me a vision of the cloud and fire, yes, but give me a vision of the well-trod path with Jesus. And may I have the courage to ask him for that easy burden and that light yoke because he wants to give it. He wants to give it. So that's the well-trod path. We know that it's not always the one that we would have picked. I didn't plan on that guy saying that thing to me at camp, but there it was. We need God's clarity. We need his firmness to show us which way we're supposed to go, and we can't write our own ship. The last thing I want to talk about is this final little section where it says, for his name's sake. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. You could put because there. He leads me in right paths because his namesake, because I'm supposed to do something for his glory. How many of you know the mission statement for your company? What's the mission statement for your company? Does anyone want to be brave and shout it out? Do you have a mission statement for your school or for your work? What is it? Anybody? Think critically, act responsibly, Lead compassionately, innovate wisely. Dang, I want to work where you work. That's good. Ryan, thank you. Anybody else? Anybody know their mission statement? All students teacher ready. All students teacher ready. Excellent. Future ready. Future ready, excuse me. Lake Washington Schools. Good job. There's one over here. To reveal God's love to all, before before. Nice. Good. Bethany's mission statement is inviting people to God, to community, and to wholeness. I like that. Covers a lot of ground. If you don't know the mission statement of your company, that's okay. Most people don't. One of the mission statements I love a lot is from Wheaton College, which is a college near Chicago, a Christian school, and their mission statement is so simple. It's, for Christ and his kingdom. For Christ and his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Like, so simple, so broad, right? But so clear. This is what we are about. My premise is that, for his namesake, is the mission statement of this section of the scriptures, Everything that's been leading up to this before now. He leads me in right paths. He guides me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Green pastures. Why, why, why? Why should we have all those things? Because his name's sake. Because God deserves the glory that we could never handle for ourselves. God deserves the glory. His purposes. His fame. Him becoming well-known throughout our community. That is the only purpose that human beings can completely devote their lives to and it won't destroy us. It'll give us life. It'll bring endless joy and satisfaction. And you can do that through any of the mission statements that were just mentioned. You do not have to work at a church to achieve this goal of giving God glory for his name's sake. So what does that look like in real life? It means that the ends do not justify the means. It means that if you're in business and the way for you to get ahead in your company is to break laws or to trample other people, or to spread gossip, you don't have to play by those rules because that is not for his name's sake. That does not bring glory to God to break laws. It does not bring glory to God for us to trample over other people. It does not bring glory to God for us to pursue broken things to achieve goals that we think are good. The ends do not justify the means. How you get to the places that you believe God is calling you to matters just as much as the destination. That's tough. That's tough for students who want to get ahead in school, and everybody else around around them is cheating. I remember this from high school. Everybody was cheating. It was crazy. This was like pre-cell phones, so there were little slips of paper being passed around, right? But it was prolific, and I'm going like, I don't want to do that. that. No, that's not okay. You don't get to cheat to make good grades and be a Christ follower. And you don't get to cheat in business, and you don't get to cheat in these other places of our lives that we are called to serve because we are called to a different way. It's not easy. It creates more friction. It doesn't mean that we're better than people who choose to do other things. It means that we are called to a different way of life. And that's where living out for his namesake becomes costly, because maybe you don't get that promotion. But maybe the job you have right now allows you to be home with your family a ton, and that's better than any amount of money. Maybe it means that you don't ace this test, but lo and behold, you get to sit next to somebody who has a connection that helps you find a wonderful job, and that's the best. Just because we say no to certain things, it's not about being morally upright, doing good so God will give us good. It is about his glory, so who this week, Bethany, is going to win? Who's going to win? Is the win going to go to the ways of the world, the ways of your company, the ways of things that are broken? Are you going to play that game? Or is the win going to go for his namesake? And it's going to be harder, but it's worth it. This is not something that anybody ever gets perfectly right. It's okay. It is not easy for us to live in his namesake. For me personally, this is where mentoring is so helpful. Because I need people who are further along in life than me, wiser than me, have seen more than I have seen, to say to me, like, here's where I see God's glory. Here's how you can live into this. Here's how you can honor your family in the midst of a busy season, right? One of my mentors is the senior pastor of another church around here. And last time he and I hung out, I just asked him about holiday seasons. What are some rhythms that you've done with your family so that you don't get sucked into the craziness of Christmas and Easter that is so easy to get sucked into when you work for a church? And he had some really great ideas. And those are ways that God is helping to shape my sense of how to honor him in the midst of the calling he's given to me. And I would never have come up with that on my own. So if you're interested in mentoring, if you're interested in finding someone who has wisdom that you long for, come talk to me. Because one of my great joys is to be able to put people together in these mentoring relationships. And this is our calling, to bring glory to the name of Jesus. So I'll finish up with a story about my grandma again. I believe that part of what made her life so remarkable is that she loved others really well, and she helped people feel special. But the path that she took to get to that was not one that she ever could have planned on. And this is the encouragement that I think kind of stands over the the big theme of our message today, is that if you want to follow the well-trod path of Jesus, if you want to ride the ship, be ready for things to not look like you thought they were going to look. Be ready for your plans to be totally changed. My grandma grew up in Nebraska, but I found out later on in life as she got older, she was telling me stories about her childhood. She, uh, I was adopted. Both of her parents passed from disease very early in her life. So she actually floated around to different foster places and had this family for a while, this family for a while. And then finally, she landed with a family that raised her for the rest of her life. But even after that, she moved around a bunch. She lived in poverty for a long time. She was in Nebraska, she went to Colorado, then eventually she wound up in Texas where she met my granddad when he was in college in San Antonio. And she wasn't planning on that. And she was 17 and he was 22, and they got married. And then they moved a bunch again, all this instability because my granddad worked for Ford. And so wherever Ford told him to go, that's where he was gonna go, and he was gonna go fix cars. And they moved and they moved and they moved. And my dad came and his brothers came. And I think in the midst of all that, my grandma discovered that her calling wasn't going to involve being in some one place for a very long period of time. And somehow in the midst of that, she said, Well, I still am going to help people feel special. I still feel called to show people how deeply loved they are. And so when I would come into her kitchen as a little boy, she would look at me and say, You're special. I know you're special. And she would teach me that I'm loved. And that transcended the instability that she had gone through. That transcended all the statistics that would say, well, you know, if you don't live in one place for a long time, then this is going to happen to you, and you're not going to be able to do this, and your relationships are going to be kind of a mess. She sort of defied all of that and said, no. My calling, the thing that I want my kids and my grandkids to know is that they are loved. And that went beyond any of the circumstances that she was a part of. And so for me, when I would walk into her kitchen, yes, I would feel that easy yoke and that light burden. And I would feel special as she clasped my hands in her face. She clasped my face in her hands. So how about us? You got some circumstances, you got some baggage, well, join the club. But are you letting that prevent you? From the life that God has for you? Are you letting that stop you from treating someone really special, the simplest of things, but such an easy thing to to, to neglect? I'm too busy. I don't have time. Are you going to help the people on your team feel special this week? I wouldn't recommend touching them on the face. But how could you help them feel special? How could you help the people sitting next to you feel special? In so doing, revealing the name and the glory of the God who does the exact same thing to us, clasps our faces in his hands and said, I love you, and I love you so much that I'm going to die for you. And you will never, ever have to worry about whether I love you. Friends, this is the good news of Easter. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what we're going to invite people to step into. And Easter's coming. It's just three weeks away. And the opportunity to invite people is upon us so that they can be loved. They can feel the special love that only Jesus gives. That's why you have these cards, to invite someone, to welcome them here. We need people to serve on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. Stop by the welcome table so you can learn more about that. And as we get ready, not just for Easter, but for all the life that God has for us beyond this day, we're going to first come to the table. And so I want to invite the band to come join me up here. I want to invite those who are serving communion to join me. And As they make their way forward, this is the place of intimate and rich expression of God's love for us, for you, and for me. But as is appropriate, whenever we come to the table, I want to invite us to pray, and we're going to take time to confess too. We're going to take time to ask God to help right the ship. Not so that we're worthy. We're never worthy of this. But so that our hearts and our souls are as prepared as we can be to come to the table and receive God's bounty.